Hello friends, thank you for joining us and making us a part of your Lenten experience. Over the course of the next few weeks, we will be examining Jesus Christ, the perfect lamb offered as a sacrifice for our redemption. We invite you to join us this season through our Lenten study journal and in our Wednesday and Sunday gatherings. You can find more information on our website at ccgf.org. Here is the message from this past Sunday. Grace and peace to you. Well, good morning, everyone. We're, we're excited about this Lenten series that we're in, Life of Christ the Lamb. In fact, we have these study journals, study, study journals that are available to you. If you haven't received one of these, this is our gift to you. Please check in at the desk there in the commons, and we, we'd be happy to give one of these to you as a guide for, for this Lenten season where you can read the devotionals every day, take some notes, reflect on some questions. Like I said, grab this. And also, if you do have one, you have it with you this morning, that's awesome. You could turn to March 13th, and we have some place, space there for you to take some notes, write down some thoughts and questions you may have as we dig into God's Word this morning. You know, one of the things that I'm really interested in is the historical Christian faith. Perhaps you have that, that shared interest with me. There's a, a man that stands out among many in the history of the church in terms of leadership, and his name was John Wesley. Perhaps you've heard of him. John Wesley was a powerful evangelist in the 1700s. Uh, but Wesley wasn't always so powerful. In fact, there was a season of his life where he found himself, honestly, in, in despair. He was struggling mightily. He trudged through it, as we often do. But he had a really clarifying moment one night in a chapel when a man simply got up and read from the preface of Martin Luther's commentary in the book of Romans. And here's what Wesley said. I was reflecting on this this week as I was thinking about this message. Here's what Wesley said in that time of despair when he'd been trudging through and wondering maybe if he was even really called to the ministry. Here's what that man said. Here's what he rather said in response to that man reading from the book of uh, Luther's preface to Romans there. He says this. He says, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. Strangely warmed, I love that phrase. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation. And assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. I, I love that phrase, that he felt strangely warmed, strangely warmed by the presence and the power of God. You know, if you've come today and you're in despair, if you've come today and you have your doubts, if you've come today and you feel lethargic, if you feel lukewarm, if you feel challenged in any way, I want you to know this. My prayer for you is this, is that you would find your heart this morning strangely warmed by the power of God. It's my prayer for all of us. I've been praying that over you as I've been thinking about this message. God, strangely warm our hearts by your presence. Direct us. I pray that happens. And so let's do that right now, actually. Let's gather together and let's pray that God will move in us in that way, that he will strangely warm our hearts and give us this deep assurance about his love for us by Jesus Christ and through his blood. Let's pray. Oh God, thank you so much for these words that are jotted down in history. And we're so grateful for the ways in which you meet us in the midst of despair, 
in the midst, Lord, of dark times and, and when we're lethargic or lukewarm, Lord, thank you for this, even in the midst of our doubts. And my prayer, Lord, as we spend this time together looking at your scriptures would be that we would find ourselves this morning strangely warmed by your presence in a way that, that, that goes beyond words. Even on this cold day, Lord, that you would by your presence warm our hearts. Do that, Lord, and give us the assurance that comes through faith. We pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So last week, I introduced to you the series, and I introduced also the key Bible verse. Maybe you jotted it down in your notes. The key verse for this series is John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. I want to start there and just, just show this to us once again very briefly. Here's the key verse. It records words that John the Baptist spoke when he saw Jesus approaching him one day. John 1.29 says this, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Lamb of God who takes the sin of the world away. Listen, I told you last week that the translation, if you go from the Greek to the English, is literally, Look, the Lamb that God sent who picks up and carries away the sin of the world. I love that picture. That's our key verse. Look, the lamb that God sent, who picks up and carries away the sin of the world. And, and the passage that we're going to be looking at this morning in the book of Isaiah, Gideon's already read a portion of it for us, it actually speaks, I believe it expounds on this key verse, John 1.29. It helps us understand this idea that there is a lamb that God sent who picks up and carries away the sin of the world, it helps us understand it in a deeper meaning. So we're going to be going to the book of Isaiah. Just some quick background about the book of Isaiah. It's a remarkable book. It's an ancient text. And you know, this, this book of Isaiah is actually one that we can have a lot of confidence in because of what we know about it. Have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? The Dead Sea Scrolls are one of the incredible discoveries of the past 100 years, Really? Because in a cave in Qumran, they found preserved scrolls of the ancient biblical text. Perfectly preserved scrolls. And actually, the best preserved scroll is the Isaiah scroll. The whole book of Isaiah. As we know it, it's incredible. It's like the words haven't changed. The, the sequence hasn't changed. It's intact as we know it in our Bibles today. was found there in that cave, a complete copy of the book of Isaiah, and it's dated to approximately 150 BC. Isn't that incredible? So if you ever wonder, how can I trust the words of these scriptures? How do I know it's real? Listen, this, is, this has historical backing, archaeological backing. We have a text that is very similar. We can have great confidence that we read uh, the book of Isaiah. And, and today we're going to be looking at 53, which is a part of a series of chapters called the Servant Songs. The reason they're called the Servant Songs is because it refers to a servant, one whose identity would have been unknown to the people in that time. This is B.C., and so the servant here that's described is one who is, is referred to as the servant of Yahweh, sometimes known as the suffering servant. And this is a servant who, get this, has a very special mission. Special mission. We're going to hear about that mission. Here's the big question, particularly for the people of that day. The question was, well, who is the servant? 
I mean, can you imagine that long ago? We're talking 2,800 years ago. They were wondering, who is the servant? Who is this one? It's probably similar to the audience in John 129, who heard John the Baptist proclaim, look the lamb that God sent. They probably wonder, well, who's the lamb? Who is the lamb? We understand what the lamb means, but who is it? So I want to put this question before you as we go through this text. I want you to consider for yourselves, who is the servant? Who is the lamb? Let's look at it. Judge for yourself, and let's see what God has to say for us. Now, now check it out. Um, this complex passage from Isaiah 53 is one that could be an entire sermon series on itself. And we could spend weeks just looking at Isaiah 53. It's very, very rich. So I'm going to chop it up, and I want to help us see if, if who will become clear as we look at this text. So here's how we're going to do it. We're going to be diving down into the text, almost like we're on a snorkeling expedition. We're going to be diving down into the text, and then we're going to come back up, get a breath of air, maybe clutching some treasure that we found in the Word, and we're going to go back down under. Hopefully we won't drown in the midst of all this. It's going to be good. Stick with me through it. Let's begin in Isaiah 53, 1. Okay, right there at the beginning, if you have your Bible, open it up. You're going to need it in your lap to kind of look as we jump around and dive back and forth into the text. 53.1 says this, Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? You know, I just want to stop there because I think this helps us understand or maybe consider how we can approach this text. Who has believed our message? That's a really good question. It's a really good question. Who has believed this message? It's one actually that in our little journal guide, Sarah Mangus, Gideon's mom, wrote about. She captured this question really well in her devotion about a week ago. Who has heard our message? Who has believed this message? And in a certain sense, you could say that not many people have believed this message. I mean, think about it. Think about it, what the state of the world is today. Think about your own life, perhaps. Think about your own family, your own community. It sure seems sometimes like not many people have believed this message. And, and you know why? Well, Isaiah 53, 6 helps us understand why. Here's why. Because it says, We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned our own way. You know, the reason it probably seems that not many people believe this message, it's because we all, like sheep, go astray. You find this to be true in your life? I know I do. I hope I'm not the only one. I feel like I go astray like a sheep, like a lost sheep so often. I'm prone to wander as the song sings that we've sung here in this church. Not only that, I turn to my own way. Do you turn to your own way? Listen, I would encourage you in your heart's mind to, to consider this. Have you believed this message? Does your life reflect the truth that you believe this message? Lean into it because we have a tendency to wander off. And, I, and my prayer is this, again, that many of us will believe in the gospel. I, pr I pray that more people be fascinated. I wish that more people be fascinated with the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we would believe this message. And I pray that you specifically, you specifically, as we look at the lamb, at the servant, will be challenged and encouraged to live with belief in this message. So again, back to the text. Let's jump to verses four and five right now. Verses four and five of Isaiah 53 say this, surely he took up our pain. The he here is the servant that this passage is referring to. Surely he took up our pain. 
and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Our key verse, as we talked about, John 1.29 says, Look, the Lamb of God who picks up and carries away the sin of the world. Listen, that picks up and carries away part, that actually is reflected right here in this text. Remember, I told you that, that this passage helps us understand what John 1 and 29 means. And I want to build on what we talked about last week. If you caught last week's message on Leviticus 4, you can find it on YouTube. I think we can build on that this week because we understand from this passage once again that the Lamb takes away our sin. That's the very first thing I want to camp out on for a moment. The Lamb takes away our sin. The servant that this passage is referring to, he is a substitute. He bears our sins instead of us. We see it over and over again in this passage. Again, consider Isaiah 53, 6. It says this, the Lord, I'm, I'm jumping here into the text, it's pulling out a phrase, the Lord has laid on him, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Or consider Isaiah 53, 11. My righteous servant will justify many and he will bear, he will bear, he will carry their iniquities. When we're talking about, when we're talking about the lamb who picks up and carries away, we see it right here in this passage, expounded upon expanded that we can understand. You know, there are a couple Hebrew words that show up here over and over again on Isaiah 53. The first word that shows up over and over again literally means lift or carry or take, okay? So when we talk about the lamb who picks up and carries, the one who, who, who is lifting up on his shoulders, this is reflected in the language. You know, back in the times of the Israelites and, and the Jewish tradition, there was such a thing known as the scapegoat. We use that vernacular in our own common language today, that someone is a scapegoat, that they take the blame, so to speak. Well, we read in Leviticus about literally a scapegoat, an animal that was, was symbolically loaded up with the sins of the people. They would literally put their hands on it. We talked about this previously. And they would symbolically burden the animal with the sins, and here's what they would do. They would send it off, cast it out into the wilderness. That the animal, the scapegoat, would bear and carry away the sins of the people. Do you see it? And so when John the Baptist says to Jesus, look, the lamb that God sent who picks up and carries away, this is actually something that the people would understand. We have a lamb who takes on our sin. He puts it on his back. The second word that we see in this, this text over and over again is one that means bear, to transport a heavy load. We see this a few times in this passage. In Isaiah 53, there is stress that's put on the one who bears the weight of man's sickness, man's sorrows, and man's sin. It's all right there. I'll tell you a story. Maybe it'll help you understand this. I remember when I was in fourth grade, and when I was in fourth grade, I was spanked in school for the first time. Note the first time. It happened subsequently again after this. I know you're shocked by this. So I got in trouble in fourth grade. I could tell you the story about what happened maybe at a later time. 
But back in those days, the young adults are like freaked out by this. Back in those days, they would literally paddle students. In fact, the principal had this long wooden beam and they drilled holes in it. This is cruel. They drilled holes in it so that it would be aerodynamic and it would pick up speed and it would hurt more. Sick, twisted people. And so Mr. Coretta, my principal, I got called in the office and I got three swats. He would tell you to put your hands on the desk, you lean over, and then one, two, three, just like that. This is 1984, okay? This happened in my life. Crazy. Well, the after effect of that was that I felt incredibly guilty because I knew that my parents would be so disappointed in me if I knew that I got swatted three times by Mr. Coretta. It was eating me alive. It happened like on a Wednesday or a Tuesday during the week. And I carried this around all week. I was totally like guilt stricken by the thing. Well, Saturday morning comes and my routine as a kid at that age was to get up, watch cartoons, eat a lot of sugary cereal. Like that was my deal, right? And so I got up that morning, but I couldn't eat the cereal. And I was too distracted to enjoy the cartoons because I was feeling this sense of guilt about the fact that I got paddled at school. And so I decided I was going to go tell my parents. I mean, I was up early watching cartoons. They were asleep. And so I went into their room. I woke them up. And with tears in my eyes, I confessed that I had been spanked or paddled at school by the principal. It strikes me that this is true about us here today. There are many people here today who, like me as a fourth grader, are carrying an incredible weight of guilt. You're carrying something that, that you did years ago. And you feel the shame, you feel the weight of guilt because something that happened years and years ago and every once in a while creeps back into the mind and you feel so guilty about it. Actually, some of you are carrying guilt that's very fresh. Something that took place this week, a conversation that you had that didn't go right. Something you said that was really hurtful. You've got some kind of addiction, some kind of problem you're dealing with, and you're carrying this weight of shame. Here's what I want you to know, okay? This is why the idea of the lamb taking on our sin is so important. You can be freed from that guilt. Do you hear me? You can be free from that shame. It's true for you. This is the great news. This is why we call it gospel. It is good news. You don't have to carry the weight of guilt. You don't have to carry the weight of shame. There is one who takes on our sins. We see it right here in Isaiah 53. In fact, it's all over the pages of the Bible. Please hear this. In fact, we're gonna talk more about it. If that's you, if you've got that guilt, you're carrying it. If you've got that shame, it's on your back. I want you to know there is one who will carry your sins, who takes them on for you. Man, is that powerful. Not only that, this lamb doesn't only take on our sins, but the lamb also takes on our punishment. We don't talk a lot about this. The wages of sin is death. There is literally hell to pay for sin. There's a punishment that makes us feel really bad, right? And it makes us feel, wow, that's heavy and that's dark, but it's true. But here's the good news. If that was in the story, it would be dark and depressing. But the good news is this. The lamb takes on our punishment. The lamb, the servant that's described here, is our substitute. He not only bears our sins, but he takes on the punishment for us in our place. Look, let me show you where you see this. Look at Isaiah 53, 5. It says that he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed 
for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. By his wounds, we are healed. Do you hear it? Or look at Isaiah 53.8. It says this, jumping down to the end. He was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was punished. He is the one who, who was crushed and pierced. The punishment was put on him. We cannot stand the punishment of God. We couldn't stand that. We couldn't withstand it. And it's what we deserve. And so here's what God has done. The Lord takes and puts the punishment on the servant, on the lamb. You might say, well, is that fair? No, it's not fair. This is grace to us. This is mercy from God. It's hard for us to understand it, isn't it? It's hard for us to understand there's one who takes on our sins. There's one who takes on our punishment in our place. The lamb does this. He takes on our sin and he takes on our punishment. Truly, 2 Corinthians 5.21 is true. We talked about this last week also. God made him who had no sin. God made the lamb, the servant who had no sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. We have our sins transferred to the lamb, transferred to the servant. His righteousness is on us. So you don't have to walk around in guilt and shame. God has freed us from that, from the gift of the lamb. Let's keep on going here. There's more to talk about, okay? Picking up on Isaiah 53, 11. So we see the lamb who, is, who has taken on our sins. We see the lamb who bears our punishment. Now look at 53, 11. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. And he will bear their iniquities. I love that phrase, that he will justify many. And here's what it speaks to. It speaks of the scope of the work of the lamb. It's very, very broad. More broad than we can understand or imagine. Look at this. Look at 53.6 also. Again, diving back into the text, okay? This is the one about the sheep going astray and how we've all turned our own way. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Us all. So that he justifies many. The iniquity of us all is placed on his back. Look at 53.12, the last verse of the passage. Jumping down towards the end of that verse, it says he bore the sin of many and he made intercession for transgressions. Do you get the picture here? The work of the lamb is very broad. The lamb is God's gift to all humanity. And so when John the Baptist says, look, the lamb of the godsend who picks up and carries away the sin of the world, huge statement. It's not just for the Jewish people. It's not just for the Roman citizens. It's not just for an ancient culture. No, it's for the world. It's for the poor. It's for the rich. It's for people who are of European descent it's for people of African descent. It's for Asian Amer uh, believers. It's for anyone who will come to Jesus. The whole world, do you get the picture? This is deep. For people you don't like, for people that you disagree with, this lamb who takes away the sin of the world is God's gift to all humanity. What a beautiful gift of God. You know, there's, there's a message here that's evangelistic that we have to grab a hold of. 
The message of one who takes on our sin. The message of one who takes on our punishment is meant to spread. We've been talking about this. It's meant to spread. You know, the result of John Wesley and that moment I described having his heart strangely warmed, you know what the result of that was? The Great Awakening. The Great Awakening. What happened once his heart was strangely warmed is he went and he told the world about Jesus. That's why he's a famous evangelist. That's why you recognize the name. He started a movement. He understood that it was for the world, not just for John Wesley. We have to understand the same thing today. I pray God will bring about a great awakening in our days, don't you? I pray that the the message of the lamb who takes in our sin, who bears the punishment in our behalf, would take off in our world. I pray our church would be a part of that. And I pray that each of you, if you know the lamb, if you know him, that you will share the good news of the lamb with the people in your circle, with the people you work with, with the people in your neighborhood, because that's what we're called to do. Share it by your testimony. Share the story of what God's done in your life. Share it by praying for someone. Hey, can I pray for you? Share the hope of Jesus through prayer. Share it through scripture. Send someone a text. Hey, I was reading this this verse saying, maybe think of you. I pray this encourages you and gives you hope like it gives me. We must share the hope of Jesus because listen, the lamb is God's gift to all humanity, not just to you, not just to me. It's for everyone. This is an important message that we see here in the text. Let's keep on going because there's a couple other things that are remarkable, I believe, that have meaning for us in this passage. Let's go back to the text again. I want to look at Isaiah 53, 12 once more. Listen to what 12 says. It says, therefore, I give him a portion among the great. He will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death. I'm going to stop there. He poured out his life. Here's something I want to point out to you. And this is profound. The lamb acts willingly. You hear me? The lamb acts on his own will. He acts willingly. He doesn't do this out of being coerced. He doesn't fight against it. The lamb acts willingly. Let me show you Isaiah 53, 4, uh, more evidence of this in the passage. Surely he took up, the servant took up our pain. He picked it up. He did it willingly. Look at 53, 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. As a sheep before its shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. Listen, the lamb does all this born of love. The lamb takes on sin. He takes on punishment of a worldwide group of people, and he does it willingly. He does it out of love. You know, John 3.16 famous, maybe the most famous Bible verse, says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, whoever believes in him won't perish, won't take on the punishment, but will have eternal life. You see this? The love of God. God the Father loves us, and so he sent the lamb to take on our sin, to pick it up and carry it away and take on our punishment. All the benefits, listen, all the benefits are for us. You see them in the text. You know, look at verse, look at verse seven. We have peace. Look at verse seven again. We are healed. Look, look at verse 12. Because he has a portion among the great. 
the lamb, the servant, has a portion among the great in eternity because he sees the light of life in verse 11, because he is resurrected, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. You can face tomorrow because of the lamb that God sent who picks up and carries away the sin of the world. In the aftermath of death, in the aftermath of financial hardship, in the aftermath of divorce, in the aftermath of addiction, in the aftermath of your biggest failure, even your shame and your guilt. Listen, you can face tomorrow because Jesus lives and the lamb has seen the light and the lamb is among the great. We also have this benefit through him and we have hope through brokenness. We have hope through pain. We have hope through suffering because the lamb is triumphant. The lamb is worthy and the lamb lives. I'll show you this. Okay, this is, this is where I would sum it up. Isaiah 53, Isaiah 53 shows us this, that the story of salvation is, is unpacked here and unfolded 700 years before it even happened. Isaiah 53 is the story of salvation. Get this, 700 years before it took place with Jesus Christ. It's compelling, it's powerful. You do this this week. Go back for yourself and read Isaiah 53. Do a deep dive of your own. Read it thoroughly. Read it more than once. It's a revelation. Isaiah 53 is a revelation. You know, if you looked in the book of Acts chapter eight, you'd see that there's a story there about the Ethiopian treasure, treasurer rather, who, who encounters Philip the evangelist in the early church. And when Philip sees this Ethiopian man, he's reading from Isaiah 53. And he asks a question to Philip. He asks, the question we're wrestling with today, who's the servant? Who is this man that the scripture speaks of? Who is this lamb? And Philip uses that passage to share the good news about Jesus Christ. It's right there in the book of Acts chapter 8. This is the story of salvation 700 years before it even took place on earth. This is a revelation. This passage is a validation. Jesus self-references Isaiah 53 several times in the New Testament, several times in the gospel. I'll show you one of them. As, uh, Luke chapter 22, verses thir verse 37, looks in this. Jesus says, he quotes actually Isaiah 53. He says, it is written, and he was numbered with the transgressions, transgressors. That's a literal uh, quote from 53. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me, Jesus says. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. Who is the lamb? Who is the servant? I think we see the answer clearly. Jesus self-references Isaiah 53. This should make you more confident that the gospel, the story of Jesus, is no myth. You need the, the, the Dead Sea Scrolls for evidence? Listen, we have the life of Jesus as evidence of the power and the prophecy fulfilled through Isaiah 53. It is the historical work of God before it even happened. I'll give one more verse to you. Look at 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to read to you verses uh, 24 and 25. This is also Isaiah 53 quoted in the New Testament. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were like sheep going astray. 
But now you have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. Do you know the overseer of your soul? Do you know the shepherd of your soul? Who is the servant? Who is the lamb who takes away the sin of the world? It's clear. It is Jesus Christ. He is the one. He is the one who bears our sins. He is the one who takes on our punishment. He is the one who does this willingly for all the world. He is that overseer. He is the shepherd. He is the Lord. He is God. Let me ask you a question. Have you asked Jesus to take away your sin? Have you asked Jesus to? I won't take that for granted. Not with an audience filled with pews and people in those pews. Not with people worshiping online. I won't take it for granted that you're sitting here and you've asked the Lamb, that you've asked Jesus to take away your sin. Listen, today is the day. There's no better time than now. In fact, maybe you found your heart during this time together, strangely warmed. Perhaps you felt the presence of God touch your life like it touched Wesley's. This is the day. Don't wait. Why don't you do it right now? In fact, I want to pray with you, and I want to guide you through a prayer. Make this your prayer. Put this in your words, and go to the Lamb and ask God to take away your sins. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we thank you for Jesus. And Lord, um, there are several of us who find our hearts strangely warm this morning as we consider the life of Christ, as we sing about the lion and the lamb who fights in our behalf, who takes on our sins, who absorbs our punishment and does so willingly. And Lord, as, as we come before you in faith, we want to declare our faith and trust in Jesus. We want to ask him to take away our sin, to make it personal. And so right now, I would invite you in your heart to imagine Jesus in this room. Imagine the lamb. He stands before you and he offers to you this opportunity to have your sin, your guilt, your shame put on his shoulders. He wants to carry it away. You can respond to him. Let me show you how. Right now in this moment, you can do this. Tell God that you believe in Jesus, in your own heart, in your own mind, by your own words. Tell God that you believe in Jesus. Tell God that you have sinned. Tell God that you ask for forgiveness. Tell God that you believe that Jesus was sacrificed for your sins. Tell God that you desire to follow Jesus the rest of your life and give thanks for God's great gift to you through Jesus Christ, the Lamb. Oh God, we do thank you for this servant, this Lamb who takes up our sins, the sins of the world, and carries them away. Thank you, Lord, for Jesus' willingness to die on our behalf. And I pray, Lord, that this message would indeed strangely warm our hearts and that we would live for Jesus and that we would share him with the whole world, that there would be a new great awakening in our times and that we would be a part of it. Use us to that end, God. Thank you for this message. Thank you for this great hope. We pray it in Jesus' name, amen. Look, if this is the first time you've ever prayed that prayer, I would love to hear about it. Would you send me an email? My email address is on the screens now. I would love to hear from you. 
If you have prayed for the first time to say, yes, I believe in Jesus. I want the lamb to take away my sin. I want to hear from you. In fact, we'll send you some resources, a way to help you get started in your journey of following Jesus. Would you stand now? We're going to sing. We're so grateful for this message.